My name is David Hershkovitz. I'm the founder of Paper Magazine, and this is Light Culture. Listen, learn, and stay ahead of the curve as I knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis brand. Like the rest of us, Maddie Matheson's world has been disrupted. This has happened to him before, but not quite in the same way. Today, a well-known chef, restaurateur, podcast host, and YouTube, his outsized personality and people-person approach to life made him a Vice TV staple on shows like Munchies, It's Supper Time, and Dead Set on Life. But like I said, his life has been disrupted before, most traumatically with a heart attack at the age of 29. When that didn't slow down his hard-partying ways, his friend staged an intervention, which finally hit home. So today he's healthy, hard-working, married, a father. Life is good, but then it isn't. Of course, I'm talking about Corona and Black Lives Matter, two peas in a pod. So welcome, Maddie. Has what I'm calling your disrupted life prepared you for any of this? Hey, David. Thanks for the intro. Uh, <laughs> Hit you hard with that one, right? Yeah. Um, has it prepared? I think, I think. Um, I don't know if you're ever like really prepared. I think that you're just constantly have tools and skills from all the uh, adventures and misadventures and all the things and all the disruptions, I guess. And I think I'm happy that I've been saying fuck the police for so long. And I think I'm just happy that I'm, I'm was brought up by parents that cared about people. And I think just had some genuine compassion and had a lot of resilience. And I definitely am very grateful for being brought up by Stephen Joan. I don't feel prepared. I just feel like I am, I'm me. I think I'm able to move the way I move because I don't have to overthink a lot of things. I'm just going with how I feel. And I, if I see a black person or a person of color getting uh, killed on camera by a cop, I'm going to say fuck the cops instantly. I don't have to worry about fucking PR. I don't have to worry about fucking anybody saying fucking slow down or I don't have to worry about anybody because guess what? If you worry about it, then what, what are you worried about? I really just am able to project my feelings onto my social media and not really have to worry about it in the sense that like I'm doing what I feel is right and what I you know, I don't care if, you know, police officers follow me and catch feelings about, you know, what's happening. Or like, I don't care about white people catching feelings. It isn't about that. But you said you've always felt, uh, you know, fuck the police. What made you feel that way? And wh- how did you express that? Have you always had this political side to you that has been unexposed? I think... Growing up in a small town, right? I grew up in a small border town to Buffalo, New York. I grew up next to one of the great American cities in Buffalo and in a small Canadian town called Fort Erie. And growing up there, there's, you know, farmers, jocks. Jocks just turn into cops usually. And I was a fat punk kid. And I was an outsider, you know? And I think just searching for a different kind of subculture and finding punk and hardcore 
at a young age and, and finding a, a group of individuals, luckily in my town, that would go to Buffalo to hardcore shows and basements and different venues and all-age shows and Sunday matinees. And finding a subculture in your early teens is something that I just gravitated towards. I didn't want what was right in front of me. We had to dig a little bit deeper. And, and finding punk music and listening to the lyrics about you know, suicide and people being molested and people fighting for people of color and getting into ska and Trojan records and hanging out with sharps at a very young age. I was like, I don't like the way the police treat people. I don't like the way that people treat, you know, black people or people of color, especially coming from a very predominantly white town. So I think just from an early age, I, I, I found a community that, was fuck society. The way that society is shown to you is not the way that it should be. There's a different way that we can treat each other. There's a, there, there's a, uh, you know, a DIY, DIY, um, you know, mind frame of doing things yourself on a grassroots, make a zine, put on a show, do something, contribute, you know, don't just take away. And I think that that was something that at a young age understood and wanted to be a part of. And it, that seemed very special to me. You tipped your hat to your parents. So how did they help you? So did they support your explorations into these yeah. uh, subcultures? They were all cool with that? Yeah, they used to drive us. My parents used to drive us all the time over to shows because we, we were going to punk shows before I was 16. So we were driving over. My parents would, you know, drop us off. They'd go to the mall, do like grocery shopping, do whatever, come pick us up. And um, it's, it's really kind of funny because I've, I've said, you know, FTP and ACAB, fucking all this stuff, you know, for so long. And at the exact same time, my mother's father is, was, was the chief of police of Fredericton, uh, New Brunswick for like 17 years. He was the head wow. of the highway patrol. My father's dad was a RCMP up in like Whitehorse. My dad grew up in like Whitehorse with a lot of Inuits riding around on like dog sleds and wearing polar bear fur. And, and my dad was his, his father, my grandfather was a sergeant in the Royal Mounted Police. It's funny because I have two brothers and none of us are cops, <laughs> but at the exact same moment, it was never about that with them. My grandfather, my, you know, Grandpa Poirier, who was a chief of police. He didn't make it about that. He was always just our grampy. He was just there a hundred percent love like we never saw a gun in my life. I never saw his badge. When we went to go visit him, it was just grampy. I did like it was just like one of those things that like we weren't a police family. Even though he was the chief of police, it was like it was I didn't even know the police existed growing up. It wasn't ingrained in us that the police were there to save us. And so I never thought that cops were superior. You know, I wasn't I was never told that they were there to really protect us. I was never taught that. It was just like act right, you know? Even like my parents are like 62. They're just good people. Like my dad, the first time I remember I told this story recently and I, we used to come to Toronto for Father's Day and we would go record shop. My dad loved music. And so we would go like record shopping. And, and I remember one time we're in Sam the Record Man on Young Street in Toronto, iconic, iconic record shop or massive store. And there was a... Um, somebody that wasn't completely sound that was of color having a little bit of a freak out in Sam, the record man. And he was causing a commotion. And I watched my father like calm this dude down, hug this guy 
and bring this dude outside, give him some money. And I never, I never seen something like that in my life. Like something that seems so aggressive, so loud, so disruptive. And then seeing my father, you know, most kids want to tell the story of like their dad beating the shit out of somebody. My dad's a tough guy. My dad's this. And my dad's like, you know, my dad can beat up your dad, you know? And, and I think seeing that I was probably around 10 years old when I saw that. And it was just something that I was just like, man, that's cool. My, my parents are very compassionate. They're very understanding people. They have never, I've never heard them say anything racist in my life. They don't think that way. I was always brought up, there's good people, there's assholes and there's not assholes. And I was brought up that you always want to be on the good side of things. Like if somebody doesn't have a dollar and you got $2, give that guy a dollar. I've, I've seen my dad multiple times, you know, just growing up seeing, like having a father that would give homeless people money. Just seeing those types of actions whenever we would go to the city was always something that just kind of stuck in my brain and, you know, made me kind of proud. So you can't really blame your going off the rails for those years on your parents, right? No, I'm just, (laughs) (laughs) my parents are amazing people. I used to have the best times with my parents. My parents are like, you know, people that say that their parents are their best friends. I always, and I'm like, man, you haven't really lived life, (laughs) right? you know, because it's just like, how can your parents be your best fucking friends? But, and I don't think that my parents are my best fucking friends. But I, what I do think is that my parents are my friends. And I think that growing up, I got two brothers and a sister. And growing up, we used to have a lot of good house parties and we used to, you know, my house was a vibe growing up. And in high school, it was every weekend, we had like an open door policy. There was food for everybody. We got, you know, me and my brothers are all two years apart. There'd be 15 kids at our house every Friday, Saturday, partying, having a good time because my crew, my brother's crew, my younger brother's crew, uh, my sister was a couple years older, so she was out of the house already. And my parents would have their whole crew over and we would just have these house parties every weekend. And my parents would be making barbecue and having fun. And like, it was a community, you know, like from day one, my, my house was a stronghold for people that the amount of people that used to sleep on our couches, we never locked our doors. If somebody, one of our friends needed to sleep over, we didn't even have to ask. It was just like, yo, like Timmy's on the couch. Dan, our one homie used to live in a tent out in our like backyard for like a year. It was just like, you know, like it was just like a safe place kind of thing. Yeah, you're a lucky man that way. Now you have a a new show, Powerful Truth Agents, right? Angels, powerful truth angels. Angels, okay. Why did I say agents? Uh, truth <laughs> agents are like truth serums. So I thought yeah. that was, uh, you know, partly some of the thinking behind what you were trying to accomplish with the show. You have a co-host, Alex Tutone. So tell me a little bit about him. I know he'll be very interested to hear what you have to say. <laughs> Alex is, um, you know, one of my dearest friends. I love him very much, and. I don't know. He was like the first, I rem- it's so funny. Our relationship literally started out with me DMing Born and Raised, which is his, his clothing company based out of LA with Sponto. And Alex is born and raised in Venice, California, graffiti writer, had an amazing life growing up in 80s, early 90s, Venice. Him and Sponto had a pretty colorful <laughs> upbringing out there. And it's so funny. I remember DMing born and raised like, I don't know, almost eight years ago, like right at the very beginning when Instagram started and I started doing stuff with Vice and 
I remember it was like, I think the very first piece of merch or like streetwear, whatever the fuck I ever got for free was, I think uh, my buddy JR, who used to work for like Brunetti, Eric Brunetti, he, I got like a fucked hoodie for free. And I was just like, man, that's so sick. I can't believe I got like a free fucked hoodie. And then, and then it was like, I used to wear like fucked and born and raised. And I DM'd born and raised. And I was just like, hey man, like, I don't know if you know who the fuck I am. I probably, you probably don't. I got a TV show on like Vice and uh, I'd love to wear your, your brand. I think your brand is fucking sick. And I started just DMing back and forth. And then when I, I was going to and from LA, we kind of linked up and, and we just became kind of buddies about seven years ago. But Alex is one of those dudes. He like runs Born and Raised and he's just like, he's like this big, big dude and he's very fucking funny and he shreds me. He, he's like, the, the, the podcast is me trying to, like me being me and then he's trying to like lift the veil and show people how like narcissistic I am. Like he's, he's trying to be like, you're not a nice guy. And I'm like, I'm the nice guy because I'm always like peace and love and everything's great. And he's like, you're a fucking asshole. And so it's just like kind of me and him just going back and forth, being like real friends where we just kind of like shred each other all day. But Alex is just like an OG graffiti kid who has uh, been doing his thing for a long time, you know? But also the show and, and you know, obviously both of you have a p- strong political opinions, uh, you know, seems to be shaped by the current events right now because how could it not be, right? You can't just really ignore what's going outside your window. So is this a turn for you permanently? Do you think we'll ever get back to those days where you can just sort of fool around in the kitchen and talk shit and just have a good time? Yeah, I don't know. Like it is, I don't know. Right now, I think everyone needs to be like doing some work and trying to figure out how to move forward and and, and take control. And I think trying to like, change some laws and, and, and donating money and putting it where it really needs the funds. It's going to take some time. Like the protests are, are proving to be doing successful things. There's still, still so many murderous cops out there. There you are making arrests. Are they going to be going to jail? Who fucking knows? There's not rest anytime soon. I think Mr. George Floyd and that fucking piece of shit cop sparked something that if it's not changing now, then like when? At what cost? And how many more uh, black people have to be killed by cops? How much longer? In 10 more years? And it's so sad to see those videos of being like, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been doing these protests for 30 years. I've been doing these protests for fucking 40 years. It's, it's so scary to see being like, wasn't the time in the 60s? Wasn't that the time? In the 70s, wasn't that the time? And I think there's hope. There's, there's more information out there than ever before there there's more viewing than anything ever like nothing has been viewed like this before and and i hope that people can harness it and and use it as a positive and use it as real structure to begin dismantling the systematic racism that is controlling the entire world you know you mentioned the 60s which was the last major civil rights movement when people were in the streets and that's sort of what the difference is right now even though people have been aware of the problem for quite a long time, hasn't ever reached the proportions as it has now. And when people are in the streets, change 
does happen. You know, when people get out in the streets and start protesting in mass, that is a change maker. And, you know, nothing has really made that happen up until now. So here we are in a, in a very different moment. People are still out in the street two weeks after. And I'm hoping that this is going to make a difference. The problem is for us, the white people out there, to figure out what we can do to help at this time. And I think you hit it on a couple of notes, donating money to the right places, helping, understanding, seeing, listening. I'm like an independent, right? Like I, I make my content. I, I have I have two pizzerias right now. I'm going to open up some new restaurants before COVID hit. You know, like I, I, I'm in the middle of two constructions on restaurants right now. And now what I'm trying to do is figure out how to truly put my money where my mouth is. And, 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 and that's the thing that I'm trying to figure out of like, who, who can I align with and even set up a team or a board and, and try to allocate funds monthly to different uh, organizations or GoFundMes or whatever we're going to try to do. But I'm trying to figure out how to put a system in place where it's just like, we don't have to profit 100%. We don't have, and, and, and even though that margins are, you know, if your restaurant is firing on all cylinders and you have everything dialed and you're running at even 95%, your, your profits are still probably 12%. Just think if you're doing like a, a $2 million restaurant, a $1 million restaurant, doing 750K in sales. It's, it's still, it's very, like if you're doing 12%, you're doing very good which is a scary thing with restaurants, you know? And, and, and it's not a business that people, a lot of people see these fantasy restaurants and these fantasy people with all this money and all these things. It's because they're, most of the time, most losers in fucking the restaurant business are running all these, like they, they, they lease a Range Rover and they put it through that restaurant. And then they, they, they use a cottage as an Airbnb and they put that through that business. And they, they're just running things through their business. They're not actually independently wealthy it's a lot of smoke and mirrors to see. I think the world loves, you know, showing off how successful people are by buying stupid things. But, you know, what I'm really trying to do is, is figure out how to get, A, how to take care of my family. You know, I want to take care of my family. That's what I want to do. I can be very open about that. Now, once my family is taken care of and we have financial security, at that moment, I can now allocate some funds and, and try to do what is best as a human. Not that, that I'm like some multimillionaire, but I make a lot more money than most people. And so I think that like, I think a lot of people that make a butt, like, you know, if you're making a certain amount of money, you should be able to give a large amount of that away. I think that's it. Like, I'm just trying to figure out how, how, how to really kind of just participate. I can't physically be at every march or protest or... I can't, I can't, you know, be aware of every single thing that's going on. But I think if once I start opening up some restaurants and I have some more staff, I can, I can build kind of this board that I want to do that, that, because I have my entertainment, you know, kind of thing. And then I have restaurants and, and, and that's what I'm trying to do is figure out how to take all of that under my, my, um, you know, my umbrella of, you know, my, my entity and start doing really what's right. Like I've been donating for like a long time and I've been, you know, doing things, but now I think it's like a very serious time to kind of just be like, like everyone needs to be doing it. You know, like everyone, like stop giving all like, you know, vote with your dollars, obviously, but also like the people that 
can, should. And as most of your work in Canada still? Well, I'm based in, yeah, because I'm on the internet. It's kind of like I'm this, this like thing on the internet. What I'm trying to do because of COVID is be more self-sufficient. During COVID, I built a studio in my barn so I can start shooting videos. And so then I'm like, in, I can walk out, I can shoot some videos in my barn. I can do it myself. We can do it and, and we can produce content for not a lot of money and we can get it out regularly, which can build revenue. Then I can take that revenue and, 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 and allocate it, right? And, and I think like that's the thing that we're, I'm trying to do is figure out how to be self-sufficient where I don't have to travel and how, how I can sustain uh, a certain amount of, of finance and business without people, without airplanes, without, uh, you know, Uber, without, you know, I'm trying to really try to figure out how to be self-sufficient. Yeah, being very strategic, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, because here in America, where I'm based, you know, we feel like, you know, Canada is like our benign neighbor to the north, kind of like an escape hatch, you know, for if things get bad here, like yeah. in the 60s, you know, running, uh, going AWOL to Canada as as a way to uh, survive in a more benign environment. Do you feel that way about Canada as well? Do you feel that uh, Canada has the same problems as the U.S., maybe not as, you know, extreme? Yeah, well, I think we have the exact same problems, right? So it's just like, except I think our biggest problem, because just think about this, America has the South, right? And there certainly was slavery in Canada. Our biggest prejudice is against Aboriginal and Indigenous people, right? And like, that's the thing where we see it more or where I see it more. And 100%, like it's the same. Canada actually has more landmass than America. But imagine Canada is the population of California. So take the population of California, sprinkle it across America. Guess what? There's going to be different tensions, but it's still, the, there's, it's still human. So it's like humans are still racist. So of course we are still racist. And of course we are, the cops are still killing people because cops are trained to kill people. Imagine having 36 million people in America. That's Canada. That, it's a different temperament. It is a different space. Our biggest city is Toronto and it's what, 4 million? How much, it's just the GTA. Our biggest city is like not even 4 million probably. I don't even know. What is Toronto's population? Google. Okay, perfect. So we can't even Google. <laughs> okay, six point what? Six point one in the greater Toronto area, which is like the size of Los Angeles. People are the problem, you know. Yeah. And white people, colonialism, <laughs> you know, like it, it's not, it's not uh, science. It's it's just fact. In your show, the powerful truth angels, right? where at least the last one that I saw was, was very outspoken about all of this political stuff, but a lot of your audience still thinks of you as, as you know, not the old Maddie putting your brand on the line this way. People are wondering, will you return? Have they lost the old Maddie? Yo, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep making videos. I'm going to keep making cooking videos. But the thing about it is like, I say this, like every six months, I have to put up a video on my Instagram being like, hey, if you're a racist, transphobic, sexist, a loser, if you, if you think that you're better than anybody just because of who you are, unfollow me. Like I'm not fucking your guy. And, and just because I am this 
fat fucking white guy covered in tattoos doesn't mean that we think the same. And, and that's the thing that I keep kind of saying that I'm like, we don't think the same. Thanks for letting me know you're going to unfollow me for putting up a Black Lives Matter post. You know, thanks. Thanks for letting me know that. And, and anyone that puts up All Lives Matter, I'm going to block you. Because guess what? I don't actually care about the numbers on fucking social media. You know, and it's just like, that's the thing that people get it twisted. They're like, you lost a follower. And I'm like, I'm not a corporation. I'm fucking me. I'm the guy behind it. I run my, inst- my team is two amazing women, you know? And it's just like that, that, that I don't have, a, I'm not a, a giant operation. Am I losing you? Guess what? I'll lose 10 racist losers to fucking say something that will help one person of color or one black person. It, the, you, people just don't kind of get really who I am. And I think that they are like the people that are constantly just saying like, stick to food. You know, any, anyone that's in fashion, stick to fashion, stick to music, stick to, stick to whatever skill set that that person is following you for. And it's just like, I, I didn't start Instagram and start making cooking videos just to be that. I'm me. I'm Maddie. And if you don't like Maddie for Black Lives Matter, you don't get to have Maddie that's going to make, uh, you know, steak tartare or fucking, you know, donuts or whatever the fuck I'm making. Because who gives a fuck about that? Like, this is the stuff that matters. You know, if you, you can't accept me for Black Lives Matter, then you don't get to have, you know, my fucking chorizo lasagna recipes, you know? Do you find that the people in the food world share your views for the most part? Do you feel that that's like a progressive group overall? Uh, I think restaurants are pretty fucked uh, in general. It's a... Um, you know, it's a pretty broken system, kind of like everything right now. And I think right now the cracks are kind of, it's kind of breaking apart. There's more light coming in, more honesty, more truth. And, um, you know, I would love to see more chefs speaking up about this. I think a lot of chefs are white males. And I think that once again, it's just like one of those things. The patriarch is, is very kind of fucked. And um, I think there's a lot of chefs that, could obviously do more. And there's a lot of people that are just posturing. If you're a restaurant group and all you put up was a fucking black tile in the last two fucking weeks, you're a fucking kook. If you're doing the bare minimum and it's just like, I love the people that are like coming out like 10 days after that Mr. George Floyd was, was, was fucking murdered and lynched. They're like, we were giving some space. We were giving some space. I'm like, if you saw that and didn't have the urge to go into Instagram and be like, yo, fuck the police. They're fucking murdering people on camera and nothing's happening. Like if you didn't have that in you, then you don't have it in you. And then that means that you're part of the problem. If that didn't make you disgusted, if that didn't make you furious, then you are, you're mentally unsound. Ask white people to help is like asking like a, a, a wall to crumble by looking at it. Well, that's really the conversation right now. How can we help? You know, what can we do? And, you know, because, you know, telling black people what they should do is obviously not, you know, called for at this time. Yeah, nobody needs to be telling black people what to do at all. (laughs) I wanted to also uh, ask you about celebrities in politics. I use celebrities in quotes. Yeah. When people would speak out about politics, they would be made fun of. What do you know about politics? Or you're an actor, you're a musician. And uh, today that's obviously changed. Uh, Have you ever felt that way yourself when you heard someone like Kanye meeting with Trump, for example, where 
you know, the results might be good in the end with regard to social justice, but at the same time, it doesn't look very good, right? It doesn't look very good. That's like the double-edged sword, right? Like, is he he truly doing that? Is he putting on the mega hat to do social justice? I don't know. Like, who knows? And and it's just uh, whatever about Kanye, really. But not so much about Kanye. I, you know, I, I think I think that. I think celebrities, dude. I, I I think there's there's good in speaking out. Obviously, I think there's like a lot of you know people posturing. Obviously, and 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 there's a lot of like the influencing and people doing it for the reason. There's gonna be genuine outpour, and and you can see that for yourselves. I think some celebrities are. Are consistent. I think some people are doing what's right. I think a lot of people are donating and being quiet, and that's fine. Put your sure. I don't even like to judge anybody. Like I really don't really like to judge anybody for how they protest or what they contribute. Or I don't want to see any of your receipts. I don't really care as long as you're doing something. And I think that that's fine. I was just gonna say, you know, like the you can point your finger to yourself at the same time, right? Like, you know, what do you know about politics, for example? Look, who are you? You're a chef. You have have, have this history of being a huge party here. Uh, you know, what makes you qualified to talk about this? Absolutely. And, and well, that's the thing too, is like a lot of times, like, you know, even on my social, like, dude, is, I'm not. The only way that I'm qualified is because I see a human getting murdered. That's what makes me qualified. I see another human getting murdered, and and I I understand that that is horrific, and I understand that that is wrong, and I understand that the person that did that, the fucking monster that took his life, it, I know that nothing will happen to that guy unless the, 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 you you like actively try to burn down the world, I guess, or peacefully. You know the the peaceful protest. It's just like all. I don't know. There's so much. There's there's so much. And I'm not the right person to be speaking about it. You know, I'm not. I'm a white man. I am not in a position. I have a lot of followers on Instagram. That's still not a position. That's just me. I can try to amplify amplify some voices. I can put my money down and, and donate, but it's just like I am not the voice. You've become like a media personality and you've even described yourself as an entertainer. So what have you learned about the media in terms of how to get your message out that, uh, you know, could be applied to other people as well, perhaps? Um, You know, the the way the media manipulates shit. You said earlier that, you know, we have so much information today, but, you know, at the same time, we have so much misinformation. Yeah, there's no such thing as news. Everything is paid for. Everything is sponsored. So, like, everyone has to be aligned. The thing is, is you need to be very careful with your information and you need to follow the right kind of sources and, 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 and you need to listen and you need to take your time. And at the exact same time as posting and being furious and doing all that stuff is like, you do need to be able to watch that and be fluid and, 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 and be able to act in the right way. Media, I think in general is just, it is fucked. Everyone is telling their perspective. So you're telling the, your perspective, you know, from, from, from Fox or CNN or whatever. And I'm like, I don't even watch the news. Like I haven't watched the news in years. And it's just like, I, I, I'm, I'm getting my news from what the New York times, Washington post. It's like, what are we getting? It's just like, you're reading stuff and then they put out some stupid thing about fucking Tom Cotton. And it's just like all this bullshit. And it's just, I, I, so I you know. are reading the times then. I'm just reading, like, I skim stuff. 
Like, it's not like I'm like avidly look, reading the news and keeping up with things, you know, like I am at the exact same time as doing all this stuff. I'm trying to like garden vegetables and hang out on my property and like hang out with my kids during this pandemic. Cause when the pandemic's over and the borders open up, I'm going to have to go back to work and start flying around the world again, probably and doing things because that's how, what generates money for my family. And so it's just like at the exact same time as I'm trying to spend as much time with my family as I can. And so it is like trying to find that balance and, and actually being human and being present for my wife and being present who, who's six months pregnant right now. And, you know, and, and, and being there for my children. And at the exact same time, like I was thinking about this, they aren't going to learn this living in this town. I have to do this for my children too. We need to show our children compassion. I think one of the best things that you could do as, as a white person is, is, is start talking to your children about this stuff and, and, and talking honestly and telling them what's going on. It's a tough uh, thing to do, especially when they're very young, right? Because how do you explain something like slavery? You know, how do you explain racism when they don't have that feelings yet? They don't, it hasn't been, you know, indoctrinated. They haven't touched the culture in a way that would help them see, you know, all the problems. So it's, it's, it is a, a critical thing, obviously. Canada, again, I feel like, you know, to me, it's kind of a utopia because we are here in the U.S. and we, you know, we don't have health care, for example, which is a huge thing, right? Even in Corona, we have, and with regard to social justice, we see a lot of the black communities impacted at a much higher level than the white communities because people have less money and less health care, don't go to the doctors and all those kind of things. There is something to the Canadian experience. And even with regard to cannabis, I know you have, you know, this past with drugs. How do you feel about legalizing cannabis? Are you still open about drugs? And do you think that that's something that should be legal as well? Yeah. Like I'm just kind of indifferent, but we, like I'm, I'm sober. I don't fuck with anything, but it's just like, I think that, yeah, like we, we sure being legal. Yeah. Legalize everything. I don't know. Like it's your, you're a grown up. You, you can smoke cigarettes. You can cigarettes and el- like alcohol is legal. Fuck off. Let it all be legal. What are you saying? Like a drunk driver is different than somebody that smokes some crack. Like what, what are you talking about? Like somebody that drinks like 10 beers and a couple shots of whiskey. And like, you think like, what, 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 what is the difference? I don't fucking know. The government's in control. That's all. It's just saying that this is cool. This ain't cool. Like we're, we're making money off this. We're going to control the thing. We're, it's systematic racism. We're, we're going to put all these drug dealers in the, in these communities and then we're going to put them in jail. Perfect. It's the history of the world. White men controlling shit and fucking people up. Uh, we have a mutual acquaintance or friend, even Pat Tenori from Ruka. Oh my God. Who I sensei. see. <laughs> He's your sensei? He, he's, he's one in a million. Pat is uh, Pat Tenore is a very good friend. And I think he is a very kind of special guy. And like what he's done with Ruka, what he does with the individuals over there is incredible. He, he's somebody that I, I, I just met four or five years ago. And it just really, it's one of those things where it just clicks. You're like same, like same cloth type shit. You're just, totally. you meet somebody. I can see you guys connecting so Yeah, so like easily, we just, yeah. we, the first time we met, the first time we met, he was like, you got to come to Hawaii. You know, and I was just like, I've never been to Hawaii. What's Hawaii? You know, I'm just like, I'm from, like, I, I don't know what surfing is. I grew up in Canada. Like literally the first time I met him. And then like, you know, it was like two months later, I'm in Hawaii cooking for 
people, I have no idea who any of these pro surfers are, who these MMA guys are, who these skaters are. <laughs> it, it was just like such a cool experience because I, I went there not knowing who any of these people are. And really, it was an interesting thing. Like the North Shore is a special place, right? Surf culture is very elite, <laughs> to say the least. And I was brought in with no understanding of the culture or what the history of the North Shore was or what pipeline was or anything. And, and Pat was just like, yeah, you got to come cook for like my stepkid's uh, birthday. His name's Axel. I'm like, cool, man. I'll come and cook for your birthday. And he's like, yeah, it's going to be like 50 people. I'm like, okay. And you know what Pat is? He's just like, yeah, yeah. He keeps like calling me. And he's just like, uh, it's going to be like 200 people. Is that okay? Can you cook for 200 people? <laughs> and I'm just like, can I cook for 200 people? Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I, if I can get like a couple of catering cooks from like Honolulu and uh, I'll, I'll make sure we, we got enough food for everybody. And I ended up cook, staying up for like 24 hours and I cooked this giant buffet of like prime rib and a roasted pig and uh, I did like jerk chicken and like all this stuff. I made like an insane amount of food and, and I pulled it off with like two guys. And I didn't really realize, but like at the exact same time, it's like I, I just cooked for like, you know, all of these like legends, you know, like Herbie Fletcher and Kyborg and like, I didn't even know who like the Fletcher family is, you know? And it's just like, it, it's just these things that I really kind of like walking into the room, not knowing who anybody is and just like navigating and be like, that guy's cool. That guy's cool. Okay. Yeah. There's something to kind of just being yourself and not having any preconceptions. Yeah. So Pat also just to say, you know, his, his support of the arts as well has been huge. It's huge. Like what with, with, you know, Ed Templeton and Barry McGee and, and, and Burke Crack and Sage Vaughn and all, all, all of these people, you know, uh, Alexis Ross, like all of these people are such amazing individuals. And what he has done truly through art and skateboarding and surfing and MMA and it's crazy. It's really, really an amazing kind of uh, group of people and that I'm a part of that with Ruka. It feels like I'm really a part of like an amazing community. Yeah. I want to get him on my show as well. Pat, if you're listening. Pat. Oh, Pat will do it. He's the great, he'll be, he'll be great for podcasts. He's the best storyteller ever. He'll tell 10 stories at once. And, and, and by the end of it, they'll, you'll get to the, a great one point, you know? Awesome. Uh, one final question. Uh, what entertains you? What entertains me? Watching my friends succeed. Is that entertainment? No, that's like an inspiration. If you want to like kick back and chill and, uh, you know, watch a dumb movie or music or. I got a hammock. <laughs> and I think that that is such a nice thing, you know, and I got this um, hammock and a tree, a giant a giant uh, maple tree on my property. And when I go lay on that, if I'm stressed out or going through some shit mentally, I can kind of go lay on this hammock and kind of sway under the branches and the leaves and the sunlight. And it's a little bit cooler because it's not too hot for the big dog. You know, I don't like too much sun, get sweaty. If I just lay under that hammock, I, it, it's just like, that's entertaining. That's the best kind of entertainment. You put on some Laraji, put on a little Laraji, What's Laraji? Laraji's uh, this artist from LA who does um, just makes beautiful music. If you you don't if you don't know Laraji, check out Laraji. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, you want some peace? <laughs> he makes um, 
music that will send you to another place. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Maddie Matheson, for sending us to another place. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Look yeah, forward for to, to chow down with you at some point as well. Yeah, man. Let's get some grinds, bro. Thank you. All right. Later, buddy. You've been listening to Light Culture. You can find us at shopburb.com, Light Culture, or at Light Culture Podcast. Thanks again to Burb. You can follow them at shopburb on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to and review the show. If you would like to get in touch, reach out to me directly at David Reporting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.